Forge Family, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy begins with a chapter break. Excuse me, it's going to be without a chapter break. I, you know, it's just in my mind, uh, the, the same, same uh, theme, the same teaching is continuing. There is really no chapter break there at all. And um, it carries the theme of men and women in worship and leadership. Uh, and it's going forward with a series of instructions to Timothy. In the third chapter, there were no male pronouns and possessives in the Greek text. Now, translations committees of English language translations of the Bible have chosen to give higher credence to former translations than they have to the Greek text, which is our uh, gold standard for translation and interpretation. The essential element of Paul's training is that both men and women may, at some time, qualify for leadership roles as overseers, those who who match those 15 qualifications, and that Holy Spirit has set them apart uh, with a passion to, to care for the spiritual needs of the church. Now, we know that Paul has instructed the women at that time in the churches in Ephesus, keep your heads down. This is not the time for that. You need to just stay low, and it really has to do with the life-saving, life-preserving you know, care for the churches. <clears throat> Uh, as for the qualifications for men and women to be deacons, to serve the temporal needs of the house churches, life beyond, you know, life um, um, begins with a life that is beyond reproach, just like with overseers, okay, followed by a short list of, quote, not addicted to wine or sordid gain, not double-tongued, not malicious gossips, but lives that reflect dignity, temperance, faithfulness in all things, and good management of their households and children. <clears throat> they were to hold to the mystery of the faith, which was that which had remained hidden in heaven until the time that God released the coming of Messiah to earth, and, uh, and that because of his sacrifice, uh, there is now a way to become into righteousness and relationship with God by faith through Christ. The major deciding line between the overseers and the deacons, um, besides the focus on the former as being for the spiritual needs of the, of the churches and the latter, the, the temporal needs of the churches, seems to be that the one qualification for overseers are that they're to be skilled to teach the scriptures. Paul finished our study section with verses addressed to Timothy of his plans to come and be in Ephesus with him. But we know that while he was in Macedonia, he was remanded into custody, transported to Rome, and put in prison. Uh, he did say, though, that if I'm delayed, I have written to you, Timothy, how to teach and model to the churches uh, what sort of example he was personally to be as the pastor and um, what the brothers and sisters were to learn about how to comport themselves in worship and leadership in the ecclesias, then and now. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the preservation of 5,000 complete ancient Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, which agree on the wording and the teaching. What a precious, precious thing to have for our reference point. Lord, we bless the translator, Lord, and, and just we, we trust, Lord, that, that you are at work preserving your passionate love for the church, 
as the bride of Christ. Keep opening our eyes and our hearts as we learn to obey the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me, please, to the end of chapter 3, verse 16. Yeah, we, we stopped last week one verse short because I'm of the opinion there's a stark shift here at the end of, fifth, of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, and verse 15 could well have been the first verse of chapter 4. So uh, the wording of verse 15 was that the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, was anchored to how brothers and sisters conducted themselves. Uh, that was Paul's conclusion in this section. So we turn verse, to verse 16, and that's the, that's the verse I think ought to be first verse in chapter 4. It says, And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who, revealed, who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now here we're introduced to another mystery. It's, a, it's another truth that laid hidden until God revealed it. The common confession is one that is fully agreed upon amongst all the churches. That what this, these you know, six lines had to say, everybody in the churches went, yes, Lord. Now the Greek word for godliness is eusebia, which expands to include reverence and respect and it's seen in any text in the New Testament where there's a reference to piety or holy living so that has to be, it's a reference to a God-likeness lifestyle. Again, this was a mystery hidden until the appointed time when Christ appeared in human form to model such reference and respect for the Father. And he did it in such a manner that men and women were were moved by Holy Spirit to press in to live that way by faith. The second half of the mystery is that it was received with gladness and awe by believers. Now here Paul writes a brief summary of the godliness that was in Christ, which many believe became a hymn of the church. It's uh, not enough to supply, uh, to simply, excuse me, not enough to simply just repeat doctrine. Now, tell me, if you recall, what, what is doctrine? What does the word mean? It's just a set of, of teachings and principles that you cling to and you believe in and you act upon. It's not, it is not just in my head. It's, it comes out of my mouth and my hands and I walk it out. So um, many, many people were taught to repeat the doctrines that they were taught. But um, that can be a little lifeless, a little root. And... Um, Rather, the churches became known for their statements of doctrine, which they set to rhyme and meter, as well as lyrics and melody. Whether this is an original to Paul, or you know, uh, whether he had picked it up as something that was commonly sung as part of worship in the churches, we don't know for sure. Ask Paul when you see him soon. Now, here, incarnation, crucifixion, and ascension were laid out. Jesus Christ, born of woman to fulfill the prophetic statement to Eve, that her seed would, would yield the one who was coming. Okay, he was born of woman, and um, he, he lived an exemplary life. Okay, now when he was born, 
Um, it was because Holy Spirit had stepped in, initiated and approved and vindicated his life. His birth was heralded by angels. His temptation by Satan was observed by angels. And as soon as Satan departed, the angels appeared to minister to Jesus. And then at his resurrection, it were, there were angels who witnessed to it, pointed it out, and said, he's not here, he is risen. So in the 32 plus or minus years since that resurrection, the message of the risen Messiah, um, Son of God, who had been heralded, had been heralded across the known world, and, and everywhere it went, people believed that word and began to follow Jesus as Lord by faith. Now, the ascension to heaven was witnessed by the 120 that gathered on the hillside of the Mount of Olives. Okay, and they watched as Jesus rose to glory through the clouds, promising to return to receive them back. Now, we know he's coming back for his bride. That's us, the church. He was and is seated at the right hand of the Father to reign and to intercede for us. Now, songwriters of the church have often preceded and highlighted revivals and great advances for the gospel. Much of what we sing today affirms our faith and our outlook for now and for the future, anchored to the mystery of godliness. As mentioned, verse 16 of chapter 3 could be the lead verse of chapter 4 because Paul immediately laid out the sharp contrast between the mystery of godliness and the incredibly gross, vile teachings of the false teachers in that had somewhere in the churches. <clears throat> Let's turn to verse 1 of chapter 4, and it says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul does not pull the punch. He calls it for what it is. Now, this parallels the statements of Jesus that when he was approached by those who came crying out, Lord, Lord, we, we healed in your name, and his response is going to be, depart from me, I never knew you. So there were those who had face-to-face -face time with Jesus, and then they departed. There were those who had, been, had face to face time with Paul and with Timothy and with others in the church, and they departed. They turned away. <clears throat> now, Jesus also had a statement about sheep and goats. It also points to the ways that those who cling to their faith and those who get turned aside by deceiving spirits to live a contrary life, uh, not in obedience to to faith and, and obedience to God. There were those who had been drawn away by deceiving spirits. Now, in those years, the whole of mankind in that Roman Empire and beyond believed that the atmosphere under the earth, on the earth, and above the earth were filled with entities, spiritual beings. The worship of many gods at that time uh, bears testimony to the belief that mankind wanted to mollify to make it good between him and all these gods, to somehow keep from being swept away into darkness. Spiritism, in all its forms, from worship of wind, water, fire, and earth, to
to preternatural animistic beliefs that animals and people and inorganic materials have spiritual presence and power and the worship of demons uh, and those that exhibit power to, to dwell in, to speak through and act through humans, all of that pressure swirled around the churches in Ephesus. Some who had come into the fellowships had been led astray. Led into darkness by sly, deceiving, demonic spirits, which informed those wanderers of ways to work power, to control others, to protect their lives, to prosper, to enhance pleasure, to gain spiritual standing, etc. In a manner that opposed Holy Spirit and the mystery of godliness. The result of falling away from the faith is known as to become apostatized. Yeah, okay. What false teachers taught and modeled was apostasy. A departure from the truth in Christ and an embrace of heresy. When Paul explained how that happened, he said this, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be grateful, to be, excuse me, to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Now, Paul points out that the spoken lies resulting from those being seared in their conscience and the forbidding of marriage and, um, had come from humans who had been taken over by deceiving spirits and who had embraced the teaching of demons. God created man and woman, and he said of that creation, it was very good. He himself initiated godly marriage and is glorified in it. The teaching that marriage is to be forbidden comes from spirits that serve Satan, who themselves are disembodied, who are free moral agents, but have made a choice of darkness and proliferate lies in hypocrisy, urging men and women to say one thing to someone and then turn and say something totally different to another, to pose as pious believers and then work to lead them astray. Those humans who receive such a false view of marriage have their conscience seared, even as slaves and criminals had been branded in the time of, of Paul. They took a, a red hot iron and they branded the forehead of criminals and slaves. And it's, it, it seared that section of the forehead so there was no feeling. I mean, it killed all the nerves and it thickened it and it became callous and, and unfeeling. Well, it's a picture of what happens to the mind that is seared in their conscience and they are unable to go anywhere except into further darkness. <clears throat> that searing stops all acknowledgement of Holy Spirit and stiffens the resolve of the men and women who have chosen darkness as they chose to believe that the demonic teaching was the true way to live. Now, the second element in the teaching, loosed through the false teachers, dealt with dietary items. 
foods that were forbidden so that men and women could become more spiritual. Now recall the heresy that had risen in Colossians. We studied through Colossians, and in that text, Paul pointed out, you know, don't be drawn aside to worship all the new, you know, to all the new moons and the festivals and the feasts and all the things that were rising out of this um, setting in which there was a Jewish mystery cult, if you will, who uh, were trying to shift the spiritual atmosphere of the city. <clears throat> and they kept uh, pushing kosher and, and these other holidays and, and celebrations as a way to gain more spiritual standing. Both the attack on godly sexuality and the eating of what God had given were precursors to the heresy that would arise and solidify sometime in the next 30 to 40 years at the start of the second century. <clears throat> Scholars have tried to um, teach that this um, heresy of Gnosticism was present at the time of Paul. But history and the scriptures don't agree with that at all. Uh, it was in its earliest stages there in Asia Minor, but it would continue to grow and gain power and create a situation that the church had to step up and deal with, the, first start, the start of the second century. Here in Ephesus, there were false things being taught and embraced that had their root uh, in the worship and acceptance of demonic influences and were seeking to blow up the house churches. It wasn't just Nero and his legions. There, there was a demonic push at the same time. Instead, Paul instructs Timothy that since God created marriage and foods for mankind, these were to be received as from him and gladly, gratefully shared among those who know and believe in God. Now, the clean and unclean issue of animals and foods, uh, that's been dealt with in Acts chapter 10, where, where Peter has this vision of a monstrous sheet filled with unclean foods and animals that was let down from heaven. And he has to, to listen whether he's going to believe in what God says, that all things are pure. All things are clean. Paul goes on here and explains how that happens. Okay. Those formerly forbidden foods were to be received and consecrated in prayer to the Father as the next verse states. And it says this in verses 4 to 5. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. This takes God at his word that everything he made was good and was not to be rejected. Now, mind you, that statement is followed by a conditional if clause. Okay, if it is received with thanksgiving, with gratefulness, coming to them as from the creator for that food is to be set apart to God. And, and that's the definition of sanctification, the setting apart of something, yourself or something else, to sanctify it, to set it before the Lord and say, this is this is of you and from you and for you. <clears throat> now, um, the food in and of itself um, had no moral quality, okay? But when it was set before the Lord and blessed and given thanks for, it was made holy, acceptable to God. The food itself just was food, okay? Now, 
that which was taken and set before items, uh, idols and demons and dedicated. It obviously took on a moral framework from the surroundings and the dedication, just like Paul is describing here for us. Okay? Now, we're to receive whatever food set in front of you, okay, by faith, dedicating it to the Lord, because when we take it, it nourishes us for his service. Okay? Now, food is set apart to God by means of the scriptures and by means of rhema words. There may be something that gets set in front of you, and the Lord says, don't you touch that. In the moment. You know, in the moment. Okay? Direct in the moment from Holy Spirit and by prayer. Paul goes out of his way to lift up the mystery of godliness in contrast to the apostasy rising within some of the former believers in the house churches. And the contrast is stark. God-given and God-blessed expressions of life that he established are set in opposition to demon-infused teaching that one can achieve higher spiritual awareness by abstention from marriage or foods. The latter are lies that have been carried over in the church for two millennia. Portions of the church still call for celibacy amongst its leaders. And that creates awful pressure on men and women who set out to be godly, but are in tremendous vulnerability, and they are drawn into vile practices outside of marriage. Another sect openly practiced polygamy as if it were scriptural. Abstention from eating certain foods became established in non-scriptural writings and teachings among certain Christian sects. While there may be some wisdom in their food choices, dietary choices, they still resist giving thanks for all that God has made. One of those sects claiming to be Christian has been led astray by angelic appearances, writings, and teachings that are clearly not scripture, nor embracing the mystery of godliness in Christ to this day. Some time ago, the black churches in America were under great pressure to go kosher, to completely shift their diet and go back to the Old Testament. Okay? So it, it, is, it, it is a common thing still that comes and rises and falls. Ford's family... From the Garden of Eden forward in time, Satan has been consistently working to twist God's words and ways. Now, in the conversation with Eve, Satan said to the woman, Did God really say to you, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, he questioned the teachings of God, and then he said, there was a subtle insertion of his own teaching in place of God's. Satan has had lots of practice. Manipulating mankind and leading them astray. Now here in 1 Timothy 4, you know, can you see the demonic twists and the taking of what is very good and making it into some dark practices? Rooted in deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. Now heresy is not something of the past. It is loosed around and in the body of Christ to this day. Progressive Christianity might be the most recent demonic adaptation, along with the, the crowd that does deconstruction of Scripture to say what it does not say and mean what it does not mean. Therefore, 
cling to the Holy Spirit, test all things you hear and see against the inspired word of God. And then lay that out before the Lord, the Spirit, for his approval of your life and choices. Seek to understand, to discern, to grasp godly wisdom when acquiring new teachings, new practice. Press in to the Lord Jesus as your intercessor and ruler. Longing to hear his voice and see his face. Keep learning how to identify what is righteous and what is phony and evil. When we're full of scripture by Holy Spirit, we are in tune with God's ways. And any offbeat teachings will ring hollow and out of step with God himself. Let's pray. Lord, the Spirit, we would be sons and daughters of the King who set all of life's choices before you. Lord Jesus, we want to be godly and righteous as we walk in your ways. We want to learn how to discern good from evil and make right choices as we go. We look to you to alert and empower us in our daily lives and in our journey to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.